0: This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry.
1: This is Howard Anderson, news editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about the two proposed stage two rules for the High Tech Act Electronic Health Record Incentive Program. Our guest is Devin McGraw of the Center for Democracy and Technology. She's co-chair of the Privacy and Security Tiger Team, which advises federal regulators. Thanks so much for joining us today, Devin.
0: Thanks, Howard. Glad to be here.
1: First, let's talk about the proposed Stage 2 Meaningful Use Rule. The rule spells out how physicians and hospitals must meaningfully use certified EHR software to qualify for a second round of incentive payments. As in the Stage 1 rule, the proposed Stage 2 rule would require conducting a risk assessment and taking steps to mitigate risks identified. But the proposed Stage 2 rule goes beyond the Stage 1 rule to include more details on encryption, but not a specific mandate. Have I got that right?
0: You've got it right, Howard. Yes essentially what the what CMS did in the proposed stage two rule was to take a recommendation from the health IT policy committee and insert it almost word for word uh, into the proposed rule. What meaningful users in stage two will have to do or what' what it's been proposed that they have to do is to attest that they have addressed uh, implementation of encryption of data um, at rest, so stored either in a data center or stored in portable media. And, and this is already a uh, provision in the HIPAA security rule, which doesn't require encryption per se, but it does um, require you, um, again, if, you're, if you need to be in compliance with the security rule, it does require you to address how you're going to deal with physical security and to implement encryption unless it's not reasonable or appropriate for you to do so and in which case you can pursue alternative security, physical security mechanisms. So it's, again, it's not a per se requirement to do, uh, encryption of data at rest, but it is basically shine, what we call the shining a spotlight on the requirement to address and consider uh, what you're going to do with respect to encryption of data at rest. And, and the reason for this is because so many of the breaches that we know have taken place since the breach notification requirement went into effect have been uh, breaches of portable media that have not been encrypted. So the hope here is to get the Meaningful Use Program to support uh, the idea of encrypting data um, where it's possible to do so.
1: Now, the proposed Stage 2 Meaningful Use Rule also includes beefed-up requirements for providing patients with secure online access to their health information. Can you describe that requirement for us?
0: Oh, this is a great requirement in my view. This is a requirement to provide patients with the ability to electronically view and download and actually even be able to transmit to a third party key pieces of their health information, like lab results uh, clinical summaries after an office visit, discharge instructions if they've been admitted to the hospital. It's a requirement that applies both to physicians and hospitals participating in the Meaningful Use Program. And what's really important and probably a bit controversial is that both providers and hospitals are going to be measured not just on they're making this capability available to patients, but also they're going to be judged on whether or not their patients use it. So they have to have 10%, uh more at least 10% or more of patients actually viewing the information through this mechanism or downloading it or transmitting it through another party, which which is going to require them to do some work uh, to promote it. With their patient base and to, and for, uh, physicians and nurses and other staff to be actively talking with patients about how to use it and, and teaching them how to use it, et cetera. Which, which, you know, I know as a policy committee member we felt strongly about because we didn't think that it was likely that many patients would actually take advantage of this capability if they weren't encouraged to do so by their healthcare providers.
1: The rule also includes a requirement that physician practices begin to use secure messaging to communicate with patients. So describe that provision a bit.
0: This is another uh, provision in the patient engagement category uh, for meaningful use. And for this one, um, it's actually trying to encourage um, physicians to promote the use of email communications with patients, again, in a secure way, of course. And this is another one where providers are going to be measured based on whether their patients take this up and, and take advantage of it. And, and it applies only to physicians participating in the Meaningful Use Program. So they, um, at least 10% or more of them, um, have to uh, be engaging in secure email communication with their, phys- with their physicians. Again, because the physician is being measured uh, based on the behavior of, of patients rather than the, just the physician's own behavior, uh, it is going to take some effort from healthcare providers to really promote uh, this service act- uh, actively in order for them to be assured of meeting their 10% threshold.
1: So what else does the proposed Stage 2 Meaningful Use Rule include on privacy and security issues?
0: Well, it, you know, for meaningful use, it's really only two elements. It's, you know, once again having to either perform or review the security risk assessment and address any deficiencies that are uncovered as part of that assessment and then to um, shine a spotlight on uh, encryption of data at rest by requiring uh, attestation um, by providers and hospitals that they've actually uh, addressed that provision. And so it's really just those two pieces. And, you know, once again, in the proposed rule, CMS made very clear that they consider uh, compliance with HIPAA to be separate from the Meaningful Use Program. And so the expectation is that Most of the privacy and security requirements on providers participating in this program come through the HIPAA Privacy and Security Rules, and the Meaningful Use Program layers on, you know, a few additional criteria, but not very many, and that's very consistent with where CMS uh, was headed in Stage 1.
1: So was there anything left out of the Meaningful Use Rule that you would have liked to have seen included? and? What about a mandate for the use of encryption in certain cases? Is that out of the question because of, of the deference to the HIPAA rules?
0: Well, I, you know, I think it would have been a tough, a heavy lift for the policy committee to have gotten much more out of out of CMS and meaningful use than than we were able to get in this rule. And we're and I'm personally quite pleased um, with what is in there. You know, my, I of course my own viewpoint is that when there's that much money being spent on promoting the adoption and use of ehrs and a recognition that doing so in a way that protects privacy uh, and confidentiality of the information and 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 the data is secure it, it, you know they recognize that, that 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 is the case and so why there is this strong reluctance not to couple those two things together and to have greater requirements for privacy and security as part of a, as a condition of receiving federal funds um, for adoption of electronic health record technology, I do not know. But that, you know, we'll have to we'll give them credit for being consistent, if nothing else. Personally, I think we went about as far as we could on this encryption issue, um, which I know we'll talk about in a second. Certification sort of up the ante a little bit, but I don't think we would have gotten a hardcore requirement uh, to use encryption, um, particularly since the HIPAA security rule doesn't set the bar that high.
1: All right, then, shifting gears, the proposed Stage 2 certification rule sets the standards for EHR software that qualifies for the incentive program. It includes some new encryption details along the same lines as the meaningful use rule. So why don't you describe that for us?
0: (laughs) Well, I will describe it as best I can. I'm I'm still trying to understand it myself. But essentially, certified EHR technology needs to be able to demonstrate the capacity to encrypt Mobile devices in circumstances where the EHR technology um, manages the data flow on the mobile device and and has the capability to make sure that that da- that that data is encrypted. Um, or or there's a capability to ensure that the device doesn't actually store any data. So in other words, if you're using a device and and the la- and laptop is the example that is most often pointed to in this in this category. If you're using a device that connects into an electronic health record system, a certified electronic health record system and that EHR is the sort of manager of the of the data that can be accessed on that laptop, the expectation is that the data on the laptop um, will be encrypted. And not only that, but that the, that it won't be able to be turned off. The encryption won't be able to be turned off by the average user of the technology. It, it can only be disabled by a small class of, say, administrative users who, you know, are sort of managing the technology on behalf of the healthcare provider. So, this idea that you have to demonstrate an ability to encrypt data on a mobile device, which has been one of the big problems on breach notification is theft of mobile devices that have data on it that's not encrypted. You have, to, you have to demonstrate the capacity to encrypt the data, and it can't be disabled, by the average user. So it really does raise the bar on the likelihood that data on mobile devices that are connected to certified EHR technology um, will have encryption on it and it will most likely be encryption that is d- that is enabled. And so notwithstanding that we don't have any requirements either in meaningful use or in the HIPAA security rule to encrypt information, this comes about as close as you could get. <laughs>
1: Well, it sort sure of sounds like it. Again, this is just for mobile devices and not all devices. Is that right?
0: That's right, and it's for mobile devices and classes of mobile devices. Again, where the data on the device is managed by certified EHR technology. So we, you know, laptop, a laptop that connects into a certified electronic health record system is an obvious example of one that could qualify. But an example of one that would not is a portable USB drive. Where the data on that drive is highly unlikely to be managed by a certified EHR. And so, you know, holding the certified EHR technology responsible for demonstrating its ability to encrypt data on a thumb drive or a USB drive is not possible. So they don't, so they don't go that far. So some mobile devices will have, you know, have that encryption capability kind of hardwired in And that will all have to be demonstrated as part of the certification process. But it doesn't mean that if you pick up a mobile phone (laughs) from, you know, your mobile phone store around the corner and it's not part of your certified EHR system, that that necessarily becomes, you know, required to be encrypted in some way. it, It will have its limitations, but it's certainly a significant step toward getting um, greater utilization of encryption of data at rest in in mobile technology by the healthcare community.
1: So would this requirement apply to laptops as well as tablets if they're running the EHR system?
0: Yeah, if they again if they are part of you know the the EHR technology that the provider is using or intending to use for demonstrating meaningful use. So they need to get it certified, right? And if it's all sort of part, you know, it's part of a single system, then they have to demonstrate as part of the certification process the capability of encrypting any data that would end up being stored on that mobile device. Now, I, my understanding is that with respect to, to um, tablets, that they often don't store data. Right, that they enable access to data such as that's stored elsewhere, uh, like on a server or in a cloud, but they don't store very much data uh, on the actual tablet versus laptops tend to have a lot of storage capability and do in fact store a lot of data.
1: So for the same reasons, most smartphones wouldn't be included in this then?
0: I think it depends on what you're using the smartphone for, right? Uh, You know, this is a certification program for EHR technology that is intended to be utilized to meet meaningful use objectives. So if the smartphones are part of the technology that a healthcare system is using to meet meaningful use, it has to be certified, and this certification requirement may, may come into play if, in fact, there's data being stored on the phone.
1: Okay, so what other new privacy and security requirements are included in the proposed Stage Two certification rule?
0: Well, there are you know several certification functionalities related to the new patient view and uh, download and transmit capabilities, um, including, for example, a requirement that EHR technology have a have a log of access through the portal and, and they all, that, the patient needs to be able to get a, be able to see a copy of that log on a regular basis. So when you use your view and download functionality in your provider's EHR through the portal, you know, the, I think the idea is that you can click on a, a button and be able to get a log of who else has been in your portal. Which is something that the Health IT Policy Committee and the Standards Committee recommended, and um, and HHS picked it up. You know, similarly, you know, to be able to download that information in a secure fashion, it's something that is expected of the EHR technology. So that's a pretty important thing. They do have uh, functionalities that will perpetuate amendments to data in order to comply with the provisions of the HIPAA privacy rule that require covered entities to be able to make amendments to patients' data that the patient requests because there's a dispute about the data or the patient sees an error and wants it corrected. So there are a number of of standards that are required in certification for that purpose. You know, those are just two. You know, a whole lot of what the Policy and Standards Committee had recommended be in Stage 2 is in there. Again, on the portal, with respect to the patient portals, the ability to know through metadata, um, where a particular data element came from so if the patient, in fact, does take advantage of the capability of downloading or transmitting that information to a third party, the recipient entity on the other end can know where that data came from in terms of knowing whether to trust it or not.
1: So just to clarify, the, the log of access through the portal, that would log... What what kind of folks looking at the data in a portal? Is that a physician portal or a patient portal? No,
0: the patient portal. I mean, there's already an audit log requirement for certified EHRs that's been in effect for, you know, for provider users that's been in effect since stage one. And you know they they tinkered with that a little bit in stage two, but but frankly I don't see much of a distinction between the stage one requirement and the stage two requirement for uh, you know general audit logs of use of a certified EHR by uh, you know users on the provider end. This this is about the log in the through the patient portal. So who's coming in through the portal and accessing that data? If the patient suspects that someone's been in her portal who wasn't supposed to be there, she'll be able to figure that out.
1: Okay, so is there anything missing from the certification rule proposal that you would like to have seen included in there?
0: Yeah, there's a few things. There's not very much in the certification rule in order to promote accurate matching of patient data that's being exchanged. The Health IT Policy Committee had a number of recommendations, many of them really geared at standards for demographic data fields that would promote or increase the likelihood of an accurate match between data shared from one institution to another. And since the requirements for health information exchange in in stage two are much more robust, than they are in stage one. At least in the proposed rule, there's an expectation that uh, provider entities will share summary of care documents um, when there are transitions of care, such as when somebody gets discharged from a hospital or is referred um, from one provider to another, such as primary care to specialist. Um, you know, the, the expectation is that that there's lots of information that's going to need to be shared to coordinate care under the Accountable Care Organization Program, the Medicare Shared Savings Program. You know, many of the programs that are being established under healthcare reform really depend on on the sharing of patient data. Meaningful Use Stage 2 has some very specific requirements to share data, and yet we do not have um, an acknowledgement in either one of these rules. You know, Stage 2 Meaningful Use or the certification rule of the sort of components that can improve the rate of matching accuracy for exchange purposes. So, again, the the policy committee had a lot of recommendations about standardization of demographic data fields and the need to uh, collect demographic information in order to ensure matching, and none of it got picked up. And quite frankly, I'm not sure why. There's, you know, a little bit of mention about the use of metadata in the header of the summary of care document that they are proposing to be used that will be the document used for uh, to send summaries of patient information when there are transitions in care, but it's not entirely clear to me what kind of information is available about patient identity to enable matching and, in fact, you know, the rule just sort of briefly mentions the possibility, and the, I mean, the certification rule briefly mentions the possibility, and, they, and, and actually ONC asked for comment on the possibility of EHR technology being potentially required in certification to have a, some sort of automated functionality for doing the matching of patients, such as, when a, again, when a summary of care document is transmitted into your facility, making sure that you put it in the right patient's file and is there a way for the technology to do that in some sort of automated fashion. I mean, I just I just find it a little bit curious, and maybe more than a little bit curious that, you know, the policy committee had a day of hearings on this, issued a number of recommendations, and none of them really seem to have been picked up in any meaningful way in either one of these rules. So I was surprised about that. And then I think the other one that I'm quite curious about and I need to get more information on is the is the change in how EHR modules are treated in certification. So you have an option as a healthcare provider to purchase a complete certified electronic record, health record with all the bells and whistles that you need to meet meaningful use. Or you can cobble one together by buying separate modules. And as long as you have what you need to meet meaningful use and it's certified, that was sufficient. And, you know, since stage one, there have been a number of security functionalities that certified EHR technology has been required to have. And in stage one, even the EHR modules were required to demonstrate the capability to meet each and every one of the privacy and security requirements unless they could either demonstrate that they as a module were part of a bundled package of modules And one of the other EHR modules was responsible for providing the privacy and security for all of the rest of them. And then the certification bodies could test that. Or they could demonstrate to the satisfaction of the certifying bodies that it would be impractical or impracticable (laughs) for that EHR module to incorporate all of the privacy and security criteria. If they could could satisfy either one of those criteria, then they did not have to meet the privacy and security uh, criteria that were required for stage one. Uh, Otherwise, they would. And so the default expectation was you have to do this unless you can meet one of those two exceptions. Well, in stage two, what they have proposed is that the modules would not have to meet the privacy and security criteria. There is a new concept uh, in the proposed Stage 2 rule under certification of the base EHR. And everyone has to have the components that make up a base EHR which allow you to meet most of the basic requirements of meaningful use. But you can also purchase modules that, that allow you to meet some of the meaningful use criteria, say, that are um, specific to your particular type of practice. And those modules, if they're not part of the base EHR, they do not have to meet the privacy and security criteria. My concern with this is that if those modules store data in any way and they are not required to demonstrate how there are privacy and security functionalities that will protect that data, either as part of that module or as part of the base EHR that that somehow gets extended to the data in the module, I, I, I think it just feels like a big hole to me, but I, I definitely need um, to explore this more with other members of the policy and standards um, committees to see what they think about this. It was a, It's a surprising development. It's definitely not one that was requested by either of the advisory committees.
1: Thanks very much, Devin. We've been talking today with Devin McGraw of the Center for Democracy and Technology. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.HealthCareInfoSecurity.com.